Connesty, how are you? My name is Serica. I'm here with my brother Aaron. And today we are talking about the first, the first in the series of the Book of Invasions, the first person to get to Ireland of all of the people. And uh, yeah, the, the, the original, the OG, Kesser. Yes, indeed. And uh, it was it's a fun story to tell, I have to say. But we've found that we've pronounced it a few times differently. Sometimes it's Kesser, it's Kesser, it's Kessera, it's something else I'd say. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I had a lot of confusion about that, though, because we, we've actually told this story on the podcast before. I think this is one of the first times we're actually doing. Well, we did it with Saive, I suppose, uh, although we. Yeah, we've done it a couple of times because um, this was one of the first stories that was on the podcast was a different version of this, Kesser and Finton. And I think we pronounced it two different ways because we'd already recorded the introduction and we were pronouncing it the way that is the wrong way, which is Sesser, which is the way that I'd first heard it pronounced. But as I mean, we right all know... This one, I'm actually willing to say is right and wrong because there are no soft C's in the Irish language. You never pronounce a C as an S. It's never Celtic. It's always Celtic. And so, mm. and it, it just like, Cesar had always seemed like such a non-Irish name and such a kind of an odd one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Kesser. But that's kind of the way I thought it was, but yeah, yeah. Kesser. Kesser is so much more, you could Kesser could be Kesser could be from fucking Dune Queen, like you know what I mean. That's a real Irishy sounding name. <laughs> um, she makes more sense as an Irish woman when she's called Kesser, even though obviously, like all of the people in the Book of Invasion series, none of them are actually born in Ireland, which makes it an well, interesting. About to say, so that's why I always kind of accepted the Cesar or the other pronunciation or the or the whatever pronunciation because I think like were these stories not here before Ireland even got its name, Ireland got its language, Ireland got its identity. So it's all <laughs> it's interesting because we're looking at that as the the first ever people to come here, but they're not from here. That means they're from abroad, and that's what the whole Book of Invasions does is it just keeps on telling you that there's other people coming to this island at different times and it's just a place for different people to meet and congregate and battle and fall in love and, and do all the rest of it but it's very much one after the other after the other after the other and everybody into until the melting pot happens and then you have this yeah uh, mm -hmm. option to have an, uh, a creation story within Irish mythology and this is the alternative or the kind of the first one yeah, well, I think this is these are some of like uh, these are some of my favorite stories in Irish mythology. And I think they're they're some of my favorites because they they were also some of the hardest for me to get my head around, because the first time I read any version of the Book of Invasions, it was by an Irish writer called Michael Scott, who does a lot of Irish folktales and mythology, kind of mostly aimed at children and kind of slightly older children. Mm. Um, and and they just made no sense. <laughs> Because these people arrived and then they all got wiped out. And then these other people arrived and then they all got wiped out. And then these other people arrived and then they all got wiped out. And then these other people arrived and they didn't get, quite get wiped out. But then they did. And it was just like, it just seemed like all of these stories went nowhere. And so I couldn't understand when I was reading them as a kid, what was the point of these? Because they don't. <laughs> like, Fair. what's the point? In Kesser, if she gets here and she does this cool stuff and then everybody dies, 
And I think that it took a long time for me to actually sit with the book of invasions and to think about the book of invasions and kind of unpack the book of invasions and reframe it. And I think what I, what I ended up coming to love about it so much is that they don't make sense as stories if the people are the most important thing in the story. But if the land is the most important thing in the story, they do. Hmm. Because every group, it is recorded what, how the land responded to them, which is often lakes bursting forth. And it is also recorded what they brought here. And I think that's just a fundamentally different way of looking at these stories. Hmm. And I think it's a really interesting shift because like we often talk about the lack of creation mythology in Irish myth. And it's, it may be that there was one and we've lost it. We're, you know, we don't know how we don't know what we've lost and what we haven't lost. Um, but I kind of like the idea that we haven't, that, well, that me, we start quite, with the land. It doesn't quite fit for me because we have these introductions to these characters and eventually you have a set of characters who stay and then who get ingrained in more and, and they crop up in the rest of the mythologies. But And they're the, they're the godlike people, they're the two of the Danon. But it doesn't quite fit that if the creation myth, although the Danu, the goddess Danu, as we've talked about, the last goddess may have given birth and the, fa- the, the dog is called the father god or the good god. And, you know, the mother goddess it, does that mean she literally gave birth to the gods? That that seems that is seems to me the leap because if that's the case, then what about these stories that we're telling now that came before them? You know, that's where I'm like, hang on, no, that doesn't quite make sense uh, for me anyway. You know, um, I think that's the that's the lovely thing. You kind of get a choice with these uh, with these stories of how to interpret them and yes. take them and and make them your own as well. There's a real invitation to kind of make your own mind up with them. You know. <laughs> I, I think so. I think there's a real, there's a nice openness to them. And I also think there's something nice about, I think, the fluidity of national identity. Like if you take a long enough look at things, um, you know, very rigid ideas of nation and nationality and like one people in one country, just they just the more the closer you look at it, the less sense it makes. Um, not that you have to look at it very closely for it to make no fucking sense at all, because it's not really about making sense, is it? Um, but especially, you know, I, I was just saying it to you before we came on the, that I, I came across recently. I think that the the idea of red hair for Irish people, we kind of consider it a very common thing now that Irish people are like pale and redheaded. But actually, that was that was a, a genetic influence from the Vikings. And it was not, it was seen as being an outsider thing when it first cropped up in Ireland because the the earliest Irish set, settlers came from the south. They came from the Iberian Peninsula and from Northern Africa. And that was the kind of main trade route was along the coast of Ireland, the west coast of Ireland and down uh, to Spain and down or to the Iberian Peninsula and down, down, down to Africa. And there's some kind of archaeological evidence for that as well, um, which is really kind of, like that's really interesting as well that there was a time when the thing oh. that is now considered so quintessentially Irish was considered foreign mm-hmm. you know yeah, yeah yeah and that's just the whole kind of amalgamation and adapt thing and like how cultural cultural identity you know is con- constantly within a melting pot like you know and you've so much yeah I you know, like where where our Irish music comes from you know like our the trad instruments, the bow rani, there's the 
you see the Arabic singing styles, the same as the Shanos, the, the melodies, the, even even the the percussion, and like they just played the bowron differently, but they have one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see you can see so many little traces of these influences, and it's really I I think it's a really cool thing um, to just kind of look at a little bit. Speaking of Arabic states or Arabic areas uh, in the world um, today, the land of Mero is where mm-hmm. Kesser came from. And so they were just jumping ahead of when where people came from and we're diving straight into right there's people. And that's just no, you don't get anything else. Sorry, right, we're starting here. That's it. There was loads of people guys down here. I don't know who they were. <laughs> but that's all you get. And I so the land of Mero is I thought it was in Libya today. Uh, but you've looked up and you've actually not only that, but you found a map that you might talk us through right now and show us if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, like and subscribe to the channel. And uh, you're going to share us a little map to show where I was wrong, basically. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm showing you. Yeah, I'm showing you. And you, if you're on YouTube, you'll be able to see this. Um, we're looking at a picture of some very cool pyramids in a desert, uh, which is apparently the, the this is the kingdom of Kush and this is the land of Mero. Mero was a territory and it's it is um, it's not a million miles away from Libya. Libya is in northern Africa. And then as you kind of move around, you get Egypt and then sort of below that today, you get Sudan. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're they're sort of the three of them are along the Nile River. I'm pretty sure. And although I've I've always thought of Egypt as being synonymous with the Nile, it actually isn't. And so this is this country of Mero is where modern Sudan is. It's not exactly the same because they didn't have a sea border and Sudan does. Um, but if you're looking at the the YouTube video, you can see this is from the Wikipedia page, by the way. I like Which, looking up yeah. Wikipedia for stuff. <laughs> I love Wikipedia because it's just like, you know what, it's open source information. This is essentially what we do. We're just exchanging our oral stories. Someone told me this, I don't know, cool, part of the story now. Um, you know, it's just, it's, we're making these stories together, believe it or not, like whether you, know, you want to admit it or not, I should say. Um, so I'm you know, not always fully sure of the uh, accuracy, but hey, um, I'm never sure of that anyway. Um, exactly. So... Uh, so- this was kind of why we decided to look it up. And then as we were looking it up before the chat, we kind of said, oh, Jesus, we'll make this part of the show. Because uh, this is kind of, oh, it's not marked on this map, but this is the sort of territory of the world we're in. Oh, I was wrong. Libya does not have the Nile in it because that's where the Nile Delta is. And that's very definitely Egypt. Um, geography. So this is a picture of, where yeah, the hell is Egypt, the thing? Yeah. Here we go. This is what I was looking for. This right here is the island of Mero. Can you see where my mouse is? Can you see where my mouse is, Aaron? I can't tell because I'm kind of circling it. I can, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah cool. no, I can. No, so, I can see it, yeah, yeah. But it's amazing to the Saharan pastoral nomads are there, and they're all, <laughs> which is basically all of the nomadic area in Africa, but all of the desert, right? Okay, mm-hmm. so it's huge. It's just when the Roman Republic uh, had most of Europe, and you see kind of a, a different uh, Gaelic tribes, Gaelic tribes, I mean, Gaelic, yeah. they spelt it. Gaelic tribes. <laughs> uh, well, the Gauls, they were um, the Gauls, and the, the Celtic tribes and the Germanic tribes, yeah. and the Britons and the Hibernians. I like how it's Hibernians. 
Hibernia question mark over Ireland. We didn't know what the fuck they were doing. No, what the fuck they were doing. <laughs> Nobody knew what the fuck they were doing. They were running around wild in forests, dressed as druids and climbing oak trees and sipping on God knows what. But you can see in this, that's where Merrow is. Um, this kind of yeah. little spot on the Nile. So I always think it's really interesting. You know, this is this is where Kesser is supposed to have come from. And in some versions of the story, her grandfather is an Egyptian priest. So he would have been from somewhere probably in the Ptolemaic Empire. And in some versions of it, he's Noah. Uh, good old Noah from the Bible. And you're you're across the way from Arabia, like and from from modern day Arabia, that that whole. Is it a peninsula? It's so big for a peninsula. No. <laughs> That chunk that has Arabian tribes written on it. What do you refer to that as? The Middle East. A peninsula, okay. That's a huge landmass. It's huge landmass. Absolutely. But I mean, is Australia an island? No, continent. It's not. It's Oceania. Oh, shit. Yeah. I don't know. I think. Anyway. Kesser. So, Kesser's journey. Do you want to talk about Kesser's journey for a minute? Yeah, so I mean, it, this is the time when the world goes under a flood and there's, you know, according to Stephen Fry, so basically I just take it as gospel, there is evidence that the world was under a huge flood some time ago, a long, long time ago, some say. And, you know, so people must have prepared in some way and must have survived in some areas because the story survived, right? So she comes from the, and like it's an interesting little loop in from Christianity to include Noah and you can see it straight away it's just like warning warning this story has been tampered with um, Noah is not supposed to be in the story um, <laughs> but like it's like yeah, real, real subtle there lads uh, and yet they they set off with three times 50 women and this is the bit that fascinates me there's a link to the fact that every woman is supposed to be of, of all of the peoples and all the races of the world so it's kind of like yeah it's the opposite which what Noah does, which is hilarious, right? Mm. This amazing thing that this woman is cre- accredited to doing, gathering all of the females of all over the world, hoarding all of the, like, keep saving the most, like, the race, doing the most intelligent mm. thing, right? I just need three lads. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I think it's a really interesting question of where your priorities are. Because Noah comes from a kind of a mm. patriarchal culture that says your most important thing is the father. And and uh, the property. So mm. he gathers all the domesticated animals and he gathers his family. And doesn't that lead to that leads to really gross stuff? Because in the Bible, Noah's own daughters seduce him because there are no men to procreate with. They get him drunk and have sex with him so they can have children because he didn't think it through because he didn't think he didn't think ahead. Whereas Kesser did. And as you said, you can absolutely if you're if you're building a colony, you need to bring a lot of women and not a lot of men. And it's she like, brings like she handpicks the women from all over the world. And it's like, what if the whole world is getting wiped out? And also like to Kesser, what's important is the people mm. and the peoples. And, and like, I, lo- I love the idea of the different the different peoples that she gathers, like represented by the one, one female from from each tribe or from each whatever. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I, yeah, but it is the priorities of like, it's a human centric decision here, people. We are saving people, not yeah. fucking animals, um, and, you know, so. And saving the cultures as well. Yeah. Like yeah. she's not saying I'm only taking women from my tribe because my tribe is the best tribe. She's saying, OK, all of these tribes in the world have something important. 
So mm. come on, you know, Bantus and knock civilization and Saharan pastoral nomads and Garamantians and Patelemixans. I'm reading off the map here, people. Um, right. <laughs> like, and Scythians and Sarmantians, like come and gather together and and come with me and, yeah. and we will survive and we'll yeah. build something else. Yeah. Um, and it's then a, she a... goes, she goes down the Nile and apparently goes into the Black Sea and sails around the Mediterranean and it takes her seven years. Fuck. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, of course it does. And like, she's supposed to have gone along and like seen islands emerge or people's emerge and you go, no, this is not the place for me. Or she, And so she gets to kind of northern Spain um, and is supposed to be able to see Ireland like, from across that bit, bit, bit of a gap. Um, like you can see it. I always think it's really interesting to look at maps of the ancient world and try mm. and put yourself like sometimes when you're looking at old maps as well, you see how distorted like the coastlines are or the shapes of the uh, the shapes of the countries will be really mm. distorted, but the coastlines will be really detailed. Mm. And it's because like people didn't have satellites. They didn't have that big view that we have today where we know what the, these countries look like and we know the overall shape of the world mm. in a way that our ancestors absolutely didn't. They had a total Beatles eye view of the world, which means you can just see what's in front of you. And so if you're looking, you know, if you're looking at the map of and you're th like, if you're thinking about how people's got to how people got to Ireland, for instance, and the fact that all of our most ancient monuments are are on the are on the western coast or almost all of them are, are like mm, on the west and not on the east. Part. Hmm. Yeah, because like the 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 logical thing, if you're looking at this map, you'd kind of go, okay, well, the the quickest way to get to Ireland is from France up through Britain and across from Wales, or down from Scotland. But actually, if you don't know where anything else is, <laughs> how are you going to do that? You end Whereas, up kind of going that way, hoping for the best and getting blown into Ireland, like. <laughs> Or like, you, but you can see it as well, the kind of trade route, like following down from the coast of Ireland. If you go straight down, you don't get, you're, you're not going, you're not aiming for the closest landmass because you don't know where it is. Hmm. So if you go straight south and probably there's a lot of currents and things that are having an influence here that I don't know about, yeah, you're going to hit Spain first <laughs> and you're going to sail down the coast of Spain because you hug the coastline where you can. And you're going to go right down, you know, northern Africa. Maybe and, I don't think that land bridge again. is there anymore. Uh, well, that isn't anymore. Well, it's it, yeah. Well, you got the Straits of Gibraltar. Yeah. But you you would you would go or you got the Straits of Gibraltar today. But you you'd go you'd go down. You'd keep on going down, and you'd and that's that's the that's the ancient trading route yeah. that was actually in force here. That's what was happening, and like there was later people came sure. from Europe across. Um, but yeah, hi, Birdie, a question mark. Um, I'm going to stop sharing now because I think that's the yeah, yeah, yeah. that map is kind of yeah. done. <laughs> so obviously there's a link with uh, like it's I, I love the fact that it's just, you know, it's so it demands you to inquire about the rest of the, the kind of community of what it is to be, uh, you know, in this human nature game together and where they all come from. Um, putting a pin in it is like, cool, that might be where that is from or there's a truth or a little grain of sand or something there. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's some form of a link of some sort anyway. Now, the bit being Noah's 
brother is kind of like the obvious link that Noah is um, related to Kesser. It's the obvious, obvious link. And, you know, whether she is a, a leader there or whether she's just the, you know, goes about gathering it of her own volition. We don't quite know. We don't even know that much about Kesser herself. We just know her through the relationship of the people she gathers, the three men she brings with her and the prophet she yeah. kind of asks for advice uh, initially. And the prophets basically say, just find the land of destiny or find your own destiny uh, by finding land. Um, so three men, her father, her brother and her husband are, are they married mm-hmm. yet? I don't know. They never actually say when they get married because in some versions of the story, he's only 15 when they start out and he's like, uh, it, like Beth is, a, is is accused of being a thief by Noah and he's maybe like in the same gang or something and it's a little sketchy. So I don't know if she married a 15 year old. Of course, we don't know what age she is when she says yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's kind of telling that, you know, the three men that come with her are like that just kind of points to the centrality of her in the mm. decision because it's the three men who are her closest male relatives. My three. My three yeah. come. I, I mean, I don't know. I can, there are days when I could see going, you know what? If I'm going to pick, I'm going to pick only the men that I like. There's not that many. It's a short <laughs> list. Some of them are really head wrecking and I don't know them that well. Um. <laughs> I'm just glad in this situation you become the new caster that I am both, you know, related to you and you actually like me. So it's great. Yeah, yeah uh, you're probably safe. <laughs> I'm great. Yeah, yeah. I get in the boat, you know, our dad gets in the boat and then yeah. heal. I guess we we let my brother drown. Hey, look, it's he's fine. Look, yeah. he's fine. He's in a different continent. There's probably not going to be a flood there. Yeah, um, exactly. He's fine. He can if, Getting him to the boat would be difficult. Um, what I'm saying, you know, you can't save that. everybody. Okay, so I'll take you guys and maybe maybe somebody else. I don't know. I think about that. <laughs> so uh, the, the the yes, he gets sets off with these three guys, and it's all happy days. Now, Kesser, uh, I guess one also thing to mention was the uh, the women being representations of the uh, other tribes and they've some some sneaky names within there so like you know you've uh gothia apparently meaning that the the goths you've um uh, alba obviously meaning uh scotland uh, I have these written down somewhere and I can't remember where I wrote them down. You've so. got a you've got a Germania or a Germia for Germania, Germany. That's it. You've got a bunch of different ones. Espa for Spain. Um Espana. Yeah, yeah so you yeah, have just kinda of like subtle little and they're there you should kind of go searching for those names of those women as well. But um yeah, just sneaky little names to get all the women of and again, limited view is like supposed to be of all of the women of the world. And <laughs> they have a few European kind of I mean. Yeah, but like again, your your Beatles eye view, like she's she's got she's pulling women from Northern Africa and Europe, really is is her surroundings, um, and that's and that's where she's kind of bringing them from. And obviously, she's not got uh, she's not got the the ability to link into more far flung uh, tribes and peoples. But then the world was smaller, you know. Smaller. A flood of the Nile was a flood of the whole world at one mm-hmm. point, according to the people who lived there. Because their world got flooded. I remember this being a wonderful thing in uh, Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, where he's talking about the end of the world and how apocalypses get much, much more infrequent the more cosmopolitan a country becomes. Because 
because like it used to be that like a heavy rain would be the end of the world because this is how big your world is mm. whereas now it's just a local disaster and so it's not the end of the world anymore because there's so much more world right um, and he's got a great he's got a whole thing review. about yeah fantastic the no, whole thing better. about like the four horsemen of the apocalypse being like ugh, we have nothing to do these days um i cannot remember what book it's in i just remember like so many terry pratchett things it's ingrained in my psyche now and it, <laughs> i'm very happy about that <laughs> yes, there's there's someone we can just send a a, a, a blessing to and, and, yes. oh like god i always smile when i think of him um landing TNU. point um on the shore of the island they finally get to the island mm -hmm. of destiny uh, and there's a couple of versions well, i thought i always thought it's cook uh, but according, according to a news source i found it's doing the mark on bantry bay oh. and um it was mainly because i couldn't print spell the other one so i went searching for it and it's impossible to spell anything anyway Boxy. That's just how I found it. Like this is how I found doing the mark. And I just thought I'd give you it's impossible off. to spell anything anyway. I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> and I want you to wear it everywhere. <laughs> because it is not true that it is impossible to spell anything anyway. But I also know that that is absolutely how you write everything you ever write. <laughs> wild guessing. Clickety clackety wild guesses. <laughs> Be telepathic and read this email. Uh, yeah, I've gotten better. I've gotten, <laughs> I think. Anyway, uh, not a bad example right there. Uh, but I meant anything in translated from my. I don't know what I meant. Um, old Irish words and bad spelling English. Not the lone Irish. For Kukuina is not an Irish. old Irish word. It's it's a, it's a modern Irish word. It also also the, the rules of Irish spelling are way more consistent than the rules of English spelling. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm gonna hang my head in shame. <laughs> um, but hang anyway. your head in shame. Anyway, it she is in some sources said to have landed in the much easier to spell Bantry Bay, which is why that's this version of the story. <laughs> ah, ah. Yeah, you'll never cease to amuse us. Yeah. It's a relationship we have. So um, they come to Ireland and, well, the island, and uh, I guess it's not really named Ireland yet, but yeah. the three lakes spring up. And what's that about? Is it just saying hi? Or did it wet, wet itself? Or... Um, <laughs> it was when you were very, very excited to see somebody. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh no, we're, we're giddy now. Stop that. Stop. Oh, sorry, <laughs> it's been... Podcaster. People are listening to us after a, a tough day. Yeah. No, we office. need to be very Show serious. And I need to not make filthy, filthy, filthy jokes. So three, three, anyway, uh, like I think there's a there's a doesn't help. There's that I thought there might be a deeper meaning to it. Um, so, like the furrow you would make if you be anyway. Uh, <laughs> OK, so the yeah. Yeah, so the idea, I think, and this is what we were talking about earlier of like the primacy of the land in this rather than the primacy of the people. Like mm. there's a there's a kind of a suggestion of the island as having a consciousness and having an awareness. And this being a symbolic welcoming, because like what are lakes? 
you know, for what ancient are peoples. What are lakes, Surika? They were so, shut the fuck up, man. I'm being serious. You be, <laughs> you be serious. Good God. Get a hold of yourself. Um, if you think Thanks. about the, what if you think about like the, the Irish as well, like people used to live on lakes in Ireland, the Cranogue settlements, they used to build artificial islands because lakes were defensive and they were a water source and they were a food source. And they're, and they're also like, they're a source of irrigation. They're a source of defense. They're, they're so important to our ancestors as just resources that they can live by and with and live on. And so this idea of lakes springing forth spontaneously as a kind of a welcome, um, I think is it, I think that's what it's what it's suggestive of is that Ireland is like, oh good, you're here. Here, have a mm. ha, this is a and and it also ties into this, or to me, it ties in symbolically with this idea of hospitality, you know, because her mm. her group splits into three and there are three lakes, and it's very kind of like you're here and be welcome. And you know, if what do what do you do if people come to your house? The first thing you offer them is a drink be it tea or water or a drink drink you know that's the first thing that you offer somebody is, is something to drink and so it's something yeah. to drink the land gives her something to drink and on a on the scale of, a, of an entire country that's a lake rather than a cup <laughs> but it's very kind of let your cup overflow kind of thing i think it's really cool that way yeah i know it's beautiful um and it is that like go on drink away there let's drink away um have as much as you want because I mean and you've seen those islands uh, if not in person uh, then on the old internet uh, and they're they are magical if you ever see a little island in the middle of a lake and mm. they're just so because you can see like the toughness of having to row in and out of from mainland but also the security and, the, and like you're not getting off that land and anyone's going to see you coming from miles away um, and yeah I mean like you wouldn't want to be there in winter now uh you know but back then i guess it was fucking you'd be anywhere in winter you could might as well save in a lake um yeah it was a it was a it was a full-on thing people used to build their settlements out on lakes and bring their livestock over and draw up the drawbridges and so Gesser and her people they they settled they set up some form of community and they split into seven groups um her father three groups her father uh, dies of old age pretty soon or <clears throat> by schnoo schnoo and also her brother dies by schnoo schnoo or in injury to his leg um, so mm. for plus again, exhaustion uh, plus exa yeah exhaustion um, this is a ridiculous <laughs> twist this is just like hang on this you're not saying this are you yeah. like, this must have been a, a modern little twist or a little funny reading between the lines because monks could have never written this. But essentially, they just imply it. Like it's yeah. there. It's they, very, they... very strongly implied that they died of too much <laughs> sex. Of having too much sex with too many women. Because that was kind of their job. I mean, that was kind of their only job. That's why they were job. brought was because we need you know all of the women have everything handled in terms of like you know knowledge of the world and women of art and skill and all this kind of stuff they all have their expertise they all have their abilities you guys are here for one reason you know what gets me i'm like did she not get one past the post lads like come on like 
they say I joke and say he died with a smile on his face, but come on, there were a few shots at the post at least. Like Jesus, but this did is, anyone survive? Like this <laughs> did any an, any offspring happen? This is a really interesting thing to me about Kesser, because Kesser arrives in Ireland and Ireland is empty, and Kesser's people are said to completely die out, except for the surviving shape shifting Fintan McBoker. And the next time people come to Ireland, there are shape-shifting people who live in the North who are there and have to be challenged. So I think that it is, I, I highly suspect this narrative that they all died out. I think her people are so symbolically linked to the Fomorians that it makes perfect sense to me that that's her legacy. That Kesser's people become the Fomorians and the Fuiwetter. Because if you think of like Finton's whole thing is the ability to shapeshift. And she spends so long at sea and is so connected to the sea mm-hmm. and to water and these lakes springing forth. And like just that fact of Ireland is empty when they arrive, they are said to die out. And when the next people get there, Ireland is not empty. That seems to me to... Because there's no story of the Fomorians coming to Ireland. Yeah. They're just there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The next time, like when Partholan shows up, they're just there. And they're not explained. And so it seems that, that has always been my kind of, my little fill in there is that the Kessers' descendants become the Fuiwara. Interesting. I never really thought thought of it like that because again, I always saw it as like the invasions, they come, they die or they they come, they die, they come, they die, until, um, and and like, I, I like the idea, and I like the idea of the seafaring folk coming from Kesser and staying and remaining, because I think it's something that we'll be talking about more in this series will be the the portrayal and image of the Fomorians and the Fuimura, the people from under the sea. I'm fascinated with them. I, I love the idea behind them because there's, again, so little and so kind of diverse uh, descriptions of them being the beautiful folk are deformed and mutilated mm. and, and disgusting and hideous and being, being below the sea and above it and yeah. uh, having seven kingdoms and they're only from one island. I mean, like, so where are the kingdoms? You know, it's this uh, below the sea mystery thing. Uh, and I guess we'll be shining both light and dark upon mm-hmm. the Fuimura in throughout the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll... Put a pin in that, I guess, because we'll be coming yeah, back to that. We'll be coming back to that. We'll be coming back to uh, that. And I think it's always, you know, this is something that a Donegal friend of mine always points out, which is that the the Fomorians are not bad guys in Donegal. Because mm-hmm. Tory Island isn't Donegal. And the National Theatre in Donegal is the Balor Theatre. He's not a bad guy. Mm-hmm. He's not a villain if he's yours. And I think that's a really interesting thing about Irish mythology in general. And as you said, we will we will come back to it. And we will talk more about it because we will be talking about Balor himself. Indeed, we will. And um, it's interesting as well because it's something that we've talked about on, on the, the, the storytelling course of like, we're always looking for a bad guy in a story. And so it's sometimes it's just easier to tell a black and white story because you go mm-hmm. starting with good and ending with bad and having a resolution between the two. And it's often easier to even listen to a story and and, and pick a side and uh, have your protagonist be the hero. So it can confu- it muddies the water when we don't know who to shout for. 
and it kind of makes you know when you have that protagonist being committed to the awful crime that you were trying to solve who did it and you're like oh no it was her oh, no. um or whatever you like it makes you not okay it makes you go oh that, that's possible to me too what oh no um and it makes you know it makes it more human in a way yeah um so it's it it gets us out of and I know we were talking about this before, but it gets us out of that, like there are good people and there are bad people notion of, of dividing course. people into into holy good and holy evil, which I think is something we do a lot. Speaking and I think of... I think it's a lot to do with the mythology that we grew up with, which is primarily Abrahamic. Um, in this country, it's primarily Christian hmm. and it's it's very black and white. You're good or you're bad. You're right or you're wrong. You're hmm. you're one of the saints or you're one of the sinners. And there's no. Great. And you do need that as, as as kids, you do need a kind of a certain right and wrong and rules and kind of like f- to figure out the, your surrounding. You kind of do need a bit of a parameter. And I, I think that just becomes overburdened in, in a cultural context. I think kids do need a, a kind of a, well, they do it naturally anyway. They, they look, look for the light and the dark and the good and the bad and the on and off and the tell me yes, tell me no <laughs> type thing. It, it, it helps a certain level of development. But once you get out of that, you, you need to understand the more complexities of the things. Yeah, like like a lot of kind of moral or ethical things, it's helpful until it becomes limiting. And after that point, it's then limiting. And so after that point, we have to kind of move beyond it. And I, I also think it's one of the, it's it's always for me, one of the most rich and interesting things about Irish mythology is just this whole thing. And it's not, it's not just Irish mythology. You look at Norse mythology, you look at Greek mythology. These are very black and white. These are, sorry, very morally gray characters. Mm. Uh, some of them are absolutely fucking assholes and they're the king of the gods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not naming any names. <coughs> Zeus, <coughs> rapist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, Never I was it. trying to find a good segue, but now you've given me nothing, but I want to talk about Finta Bokra. I was like, speaking of, speaking of change, no, not that. Speaking of Finta Okra is one of these characters that we'll probably see again. He basically does what any sane man would do in his, in, in his position, told to repopulate the land with all these women and he <laughs> hilariously legs it, <laughs> which I, I kind of love. Uh, I guess that can't not just be played well, I guess by me anyway, <laughs> uh, for a laugh because it's just ridiculous. Um, I, I and it admits one of those like, how could he run away from the destiny and the people and the choice and the thing he had to do? Like seeing fifty women, was he? I don't know. Maybe he just really didn't want to sleep with any of them. I mean, maybe he loved his wife. Maybe that was going to be really fucking awkward. Maybe she was not actually as okay with that as she thought she was going to be. Maybe he was not into women. Yeah. Maybe he was asexual. Maybe he preferred to not have sex. You know, there's all kinds of possible explanations you could read into into Finton. Uh, Running away from 50 women who want to sleep with you is probably um, indicative of something not quite straight. But (laughs) fuck this. (laughs) I got to run away. That's what I think it is. Uh, You make up your own And or, you know, he's been in in Ireland how long at this point? And he's been sleeping with how many women already? You know, maybe you get bored. I don't know. Not one bastard post don't really fit. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're from Morians. You know? Morian. There you go. That makes sense. That makes sense. It does. It does. It does. That makes sense. Morian makes sense, sense. sense man. It, 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 you know, it sets up quite an interesting kind of uh, 
kind of balance between the first battle of Moitura then if Fintan, because he takes the side of the fearful, like, and he, he tries to help them defeat the Fomorians. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll be getting to that story along with others because the eternal shape-shifting observer of Fintan McBoker will kind of stay in the background every now and again, cropping in and out, as he sometimes is uh, weaves within these stories as one observer and one kind of um, figure you can view the rest of the stories through. Similar to, I think he represents Ireland then as a personification, mm. you know, in a way. He's just, he becomes the uh, the all-father in a way. You know, he's just there. Well, he's, as someone who who um, shapeshifts and kind of knows Ireland from every perspective, I think he's an interesting kind of shamanic character. Mm. Like this whole idea of him moving between worlds. And like, he's not the, he's not the last of these kind of like liminal uh, shapeshifting characters that you'll see. And like... But you know, the is. two of the Danans seem to be very intuitively magical as well in terms of their ability to just yeah. shape shift or change each other's shapes. And it comes up a lot. But Finton, it almost feels more kind of instinctive with him. You know, he's he's dreams. He did it by accident. Yeah, he he almost does it by accident. And he kind of doesn't, you know, in the story of the Hawk of Ackle as well, there's that part in the in the colloquy where he's like, I don't know how it happened, but one day I was the salmon. Yeah, that's a beautiful conversation. And it's one we did last year. That yes. We went to record for podcasts and we just did it for a live show. And then di- I was my bad, I didn't. Um, but we'll be getting to that eventually. Um, and I guess we'll be getting on to Parathlon next week. We will yeah. um, have released, by the time this comes out, the dates for our new storytelling uh, course, The Arc of Storytelling. We've been very excited about kind of uh, tinkering and tightening a few little nuts and bolts uh, reshaping with uh, the feedback, the great positive feedback we got from people in the first and second course and we're excited to be expanding it a little bit and starting on the 27th of April so if you want to find out more about that, uh, get in touch and if you're a liker of the show thank you very much for listening if you're a new person there's loads of episodes you can go back and have a listen uh, you can like and subscribe on YouTube and follow us on social medias and that's about it and oh yeah uh, Patreon thank you you can go to patreon.com forward slash candidates if you want to contribute is that everything Sarka? I think that's everything thank you very much for listening everybody and we will see you next time you <laughs>